Hallå och välkommen till en ny episode av Pelkvarteret som är er en podcast med mig Lars Ivarsson i tätt och närt samarbete med Betsson. Vi ska ha en gäst idag. Vi har inte haft gäster på allt för länge så nå, men vi ska ha en gäst nu idag. så därför går resten av episoden på engelska. Jag beklagar för dock som inte trivs. Med det and with that out of the way I, I had to get a guest in today. I felt it was about high time to have a pod about Arsenal. And but I'm really struggling to make sense of them. Uh, and this is what we do on this pod. We like to sort of uh, look at what's going on in this chaotic sport we follow and try to make sense of it all. But I'm really struggling with Arsenal. And because of that, I want to bring in uh, you as someone who is a very intelligent uh, football man, a, a reader, a reader, a writer and, and reader uh, and and an Arsenal season ticket holder, I believe. It's the one and only Mr. Philippe Auclair. Good morning, Lars. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you for taking the time. And I, I, w- I want you to help me make sense of this Arsenal team because they have certain games where they look quite good and they look like, oh, this is what Arteta's doing and this is what they're meant to be. And then they have certain games that are just catastrophic. Or in the case of the West Ham game, you have one half of each. And I'm just <laughs> finding it incredibly hard to make any sense about wh- where this team is going is it developing at all? What's happening? Can you help me, Philippe? I, I will do my best, Lars, but I must say that the questions you're asking yourself uh, are questions that I think most Arsenal fans, season ticket holders, observers, whatever, people who follow the club day in, day out are asking themselves too because it looks um, it looks that we don't still we still don't quite know what the Arsenal is supposed to be uh, under Arteta. Uh, it's very much a kind of crab-like progress. <laughs> two, sty- two steps. Well, actually, it's all lateral. All sides. Which actually has been a problem in the passing as well. Been far, far too lateral. But it's also the way that Arsenal <laughs> have been going about this season. And you know, just before talking to you, I was looking at you know the match per match uh, uh, evolution of the season. And yeah. one thing strikes me. It strikes me is that. Uh, it's not just the um, the place of Arsenal in the table, which is basically hovering around the 10th place, never getting really much above that, never really getting much below that. When you look at the results, you think, yeah, and, and, and the way they follow each other, you think, yeah, that's a, a mid-table team. And you're thinking, mm. well, how did we get there? They were not a mid-table team with Unai Emery. With Unai Emery, they were fighting at least for a place in the Europa League, a competition of which they played a final. And we're supposed to have made progress since then. And I'm looking, and of course, there was the FA Cup win, which was very welcome and in which people thought maybe the uh, harbinger of a new dawn. And, but the real acid test is in the league. And in the league, you know, apart from one period, which was from Boxing Day to the end of January, where honestly, Arsenal were excellent. And, and, and you had some games that you thought, well, the game against Chelsea was a really big one, I think, for the club, because you thought, oh, Things are happening, uh, and 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 are happening in a, in a, in a good good way. Um, the the win at Southampton, uh, even the draw against Manchester United, and then it goes a little bit pear shaped. I mean, just a little bit, and then it's good again. And you see Arsenal be- beating Leicester and Tottenham. You think, wow, they're back. Well, then there's this first half against West Ham, and then there is this pathetic excuse of a performance, I don't know what to call it, against Liverpool this weekend, which was as dire 
uh, a performance as I've seen from Arteta's uh, Arsenal as, as long as I can remember. Honestly, uh, it's uh, it, it's very odd. Uh, so can I make sense of it? We can try and make sense of it because there are some reasons for this uh, inconsistency, both in terms of performance and results. And uh, I, which is where I turn to you. I said from the outside because I've got my own ideas, but from the outside yourself, what would you say are are the reasons, the, the fundamental reasons for this strange inconsistency of this team? I mean, I, this is a bit of a cop out, but I go on, and, and, I, and I'm cheating a bit because we just recorded a different podcast for someone <laughs> else, and I'm going to steal your point because it was a very excellent point. They have tended to have injuries and absentees at very bad times. There's always been something. I mean, we've rarely had a sort of stretch of two, three, four games this season where Arteta has had all the players he wants and nothing weird has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that even takes us to something like the Wolves games where they were looking good and suddenly they get a weird sort of red card and it all goes a bit funny. It's, it's always been something. And, and as, as observers, I think, and listeners to this podcast will have heard me say, I mean, we are prone to falling, to looking for the grand theories and the big storylines and the, yeah. the, the, the narratives to use a very overused word, but it's true. And and we're looking for sort of a great story arc of, of Arsenal and Arteta making it all work. But in the day, he still has to manage the club day to day, game to game. And and there's been so many disruptions this season that it's been incredibly hard to get any sort of grand plan to fall into place because he's always mm. putting out minor fires. And yes, and and the team has has changed a lot. I mean, we should remember they started with a three four three, for example, and they moved on to a four three three. Uh, which is a bit of a skewed, weird 4-3-3 because you've got the players who are on the, on the sides are not on the flanks are not genuine wingers. <laughs> and no. In fact, is there a winger in that particular Arsenal squad? I don't think so. And now we're back to a, a 4-2-3-1. Um, and it's, it's changed and it's changed an, an awful lot uh, through the season. And what has changed as well an awful lot is the fact that the partnerships in central defence, and I, I think anyway that's a theme which is a recurrent one for many clubs this season. Uh, you know, you think they found uh, a good balance with uh, Holding and Lewis and, and Tierney certainly and, and Bellerin. It, it looks like a, a, a decent, uh, you know, back four. Well, what happens? Of course, Tierney gets injured, or Lewis will get injured, or. Uh, Bellerin will be unfit, and, and you carry, and so he has to change that again. Then, oh, he loses Granit Xhaka, and I think actually, we, if we can concentrate on Xhaka for a second, he's, Xhaka is absolutely symptomatic of what is not quite right with the club. Everybody will tell you that he's the most infuriating of midfielders because he's got a great, ta- he's, he's a player of great talent. There's no doubt yeah. about it. He's got a absolutely. wonderful left foot. He's got good vision. Uh, he's also very good in the air. This is one, one area which people perhaps don't realize that, but midfield, when you hoof the ball and Xhaka is in the, is in the, the area, it will generally win this duel. Um, okay, he's a bit brainless at times. Uh, no, yeah. I think no outfield player has caused, have had more goals scored from a direct mistake as Granit Xhaka since he arrived in, in the Premier League. That is eight. That's a lot, Lance. No, not ideal in his position either to be that mistake prone. No, no. but but when he's not there, 
you start regretting him. Mm. When he's there, you basically want him substituted. <laughs> when he's there, when he's not there, you want him to be on the bench. You want to bring him on. And that was very much the case, you know, for example, against, uh, against Liverpool, uh, where his absence was, it was clear that Denis Ceballos, for all his qualities, is not the kind of player that, you know, he's not the kind of player to fulfill that role. And, you know, it's also like Thomas Partey. We know Thomas Partey is a very fine player. I don't think there's anybody who doubts it. And, but he's been injured twice already. Uh, he, he had fleeting moments, again, even against Liverpool, his first 15 minutes, you know, that's, that's how picky I've got to be, were very good. And then he suddenly fell into the same kind of apathy and thinking, oh, you know what, this game really doesn't really matter. Uh, we're, we're all thinking about Slavia Prague on Thursday. This is the big one. And, and of course, uh, as well, you know, you're, you're now relying if you're, Mikel Arteta on very young players to be the drivers. You know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang honestly is not worth his place at the moment. I don't know where he kept his, his being picked. And, and again and again and again, it's clearly not right. I don't know if it's a question, uh, if it's a mental or physical or both, but he's not right. He loses so many balls. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, his passing is dreadful. I haven't seen him dribble past a player for I don't know how many moons. Um, his finishing is on and off. Sometimes he will have a great finish. You will think, wow, what a player. And then he will fluff another easy chance. The runs are non-existent compared to some other strikers. And you think, well, actually, he's also playing on the left wing. What's going on? And, and in, in the midst of all this sometimes chaos, you've got young players who are coming through and who are genuine harbingers of promise. Emil Smithrow has been wonderful. Bukayo Saka should, for me, be among uh, Gary Southgate's 23. I don't know what you think about it, but certainly on, at, you know, on, on the left of, either as a left back or as a left wing back, or even as a left winger, yeah. the boy is just, I mean, so, and he can play in the middle and he can play on the right. Is the kind of versatile squad player that I think Southgate should take to the Euro. Um, but, you know, we're clutching at straws here. And, of course, there's Martin de Jord. Uh, I don't know if I pronounce it properly. but Oh, close enough. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> Better than been, most. Okay. Uh, <laughs> who's, been, <laughs> who's been absolutely wonderful. And, uh, but you shouldn't have to rely on a young player. Well, a young player. De Jord is not no longer a, a young, young player. But he's still, you know, somebody who's developing. You shouldn't rely on, on him and on two youngsters who've come from the academy just a couple of years ago to be your, your driving forces, unless your policy was to build a club around that. But I have no inklings that that's the case, because if that's the case, I know one thing for sure, you don't recruit William. No, that was very odd. Uh, well... <laughs> See, isn't that, isn't that the most polite thing we can say? I had, yes. I had an entire episode of the podcast dedicated to how annoyed I was about that signing taking place. Yes. And uh, for legal reasons, I guess we have to be a little bit careful with what you say. What we Even say. in Norway. Even Well, <laughs> yeah. But I think if you listen, people who listen to this podcast know <laughs> what, what the objections are. And... Uh, <laughs> 
and it yeah, hasn't rough, and yes. and i would say the only thing i would say about william is it's been an even worse signing than i thought it would be and again i dedicated an entire episode to why i didn't like the signing because i thought at least for like the first season he would be good like his uh, you would think mm. the short term impact would be there uh, but he's been terrible in the short term as well yeah he's had i think one and a half decent games and that's about it and uh, this one and a half decent games uh, where when he we saw him put himself about, especially in defensive role where he was doing it quite well. But when I see him as well, his body language and the expression of his face, I don't get the impression of a player who is really enjoying his job. And, and I hate it. And to be honest, I really hate it. Uh, I, I don't feel any enthusiasm, uh, almost a kind of fatalism when he loses the ball. Um, and I feel that's in too many players in that squad at the moment. And then, not all of them. There are players, you know, who've done extremely well, but there have been so many strange decisions. I mean, to let Emiliano Martinez leave for Villa was criminal. And everybody knew it within the club. Everybody. Yet he went. Yet he went. Um, and if you asked, I mean, I, Lars, wouldn't you have Emiliano Martinez rather than Bernd Leno in your goal? Ooh. Yeah, probably. Oh, do you think, it, it, do you think it, it's a 50 50 kind of thing? I mean, this is the thing, thing for me. Keeper, yeah, so. for me, it's very, very close to 50 50. Mm. And, you know, if you can cash in on a player you haven't spent any money on and you're happy enough to go with the one you have spent money on, <laughs> then yeah, I, but guess, on the other hand, yeah, I guess the economics of football mean that mm. that's what happens, right? Yeah, well, uh, up to a point, because uh, with a team that has a leaky or fragile defense and also which is always panicking on you know, dead ball situations, having a goalkeeper who is really assertive, authoritative in the six, in the six, six yards and also can claim the ball is one of the best catcher, if not the best catcher of the ball in the Premier League. I would have thought that, that in itself yeah, was, for sure. was very important. Uh, he's also, I think, better with the ball at his feet and in his hands, he's, in his, in his decision-making that Leno is... Um, and, but Leno has got great qualities and uh, he hasn't been the worst player by, by any stretch of the imagination in that, in that particular team. It's just not settled. And um, it's very odd at times they're so... When they do get their rhythm together, they can actually be a pretty damn good team and easy on the eye and dangerous when they have the right rhythm. Unfortunately, when it comes to them, Within, I think, two minutes of kickoff, you are, you know, apart from the game against West Ham, what kind of Arsenal team you're going to get. Either you're going to get the one which has got some sense of rhythm and of the beat, and which will probably panic in the last five to ten minutes because that's part of the course, but we'll get a result. Or you get the apathetic, uh, quite uh, lackadaisical, uh, sloppy team that we've seen far too often this season, which is going to lose whatever happens, uh, and sometimes you get both in the same match. But that—that's you know, I mean, if you look at you know what they've done in the Europa League as well, it's they, they've had some very strange performances in that competition, to say the least. Some in which you thought these guys are genuine contenders for the title, and others you thought, how did they get out of the group phase? It's, can I that, can, can, can yes. I be slightly cruel and suggest the season you're describing from Arsenal? reminds me almost about sort of Martignol era Tottenham mm. in that there are reasons to be cheerful. There are good players here and there, and there are certain performances when you think, wow, this is pretty good, but it's sort of not reliable and, and, and chaotic and uh, unpredictable. And you get the odd 
odd performance that is just bad. And some odd choices as well, Lars, um, uh, in terms of the personnel that, that Arteta is using. Mm. I think he is uh, one of those managers who perhaps overthink um, that he's... Um, I mean, apart from the fact, of course, there's been all the injuries, suspensions, but especially injuries. But he does tinker with details, but that not small details. As he will tinker with uh, in putting players who have got very different characteristics, replacing one with the next from one game to the to, to the next. The the only times when things have been working relatively well is then where there's been some kind of, you know logic to what he's been doing. But I can tell you, for example, I mean, I don't think he uses what he has at his disposal as well as he could. Uh, I'm one of many uh, who, from the bit, from the moment that he arrived at the club, I thought that Gabriel Martinelli was the future number nine of Arsenal Football Club and would be for 10 years. And I'm absolutely convinced of that. Has he played centre-forward? No, not once. Not once. When we saw how he was liaising, you know, um, and the relationship that he had with Tierney, Saka, and um, and Saka in the Europa League in the previous in previous seasons, we thought we've sorted this out. This is one thing that we can actually build on. There are some, you know, you build around relationships on on field relationships. Yeah, like you have a great double pivot, and or you have got a, a wing back or a, a, a full back that is really communicating very well with his. Uh, either, um, you know, this uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but because there are no such words in English, uh, with this left winger or the guy who's on the left side of midfield. And you build around those. And Arsenal has got a few of those relationships, but Arteta hasn't developed them. Yeah. There is no relationship between Obama, Young and Lacazette. None. No, but, but they've never been compatible and that's always been weird. Um, I know. I think the closest thing it's been to working is when you had the 3-4-3 with Laka mm. as the sort of central striker because he likes coming a bit deep and and Oba coming in from the left there. Yeah. That 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 dynamic kind of worked for a while, but then there are other aspects of the team that doesn't work very well in that structure. And 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 again just putting that many resources for a club that doesn't have an unlimited pot of money at this point, Correct. having that mu- having that many much resources tied up in two players who are fundamentally incompatible is is not good from the squad planning side of things. But if, if we're trying especially, to be, especially when you give a a, a a fat new contract to one of them, yeah, uh, and they were they but they were backed into a corner there, weren't there? I mean, they couldn't really let I, him go. I, I don't agree with you here. Mm. Well, I I don't agree that they were backed into a corner. I think that they were backed into into a dilemma, okay, uh, which is not quite the same thing. When you're backed into a corner, you don't have any other solution but to try to fight your way out of it. That's it, mm-hmm. and it's a bit messy. There, they had to take a decision, make a decision. Either they went, uh, they decided to go with uh, a, a player uh, who is not getting any younger, uh, to say the least, uh, and who has been extremely efficient but who can be a bit mercurial and, you know, he is going to be 32, you know, in three months' time, Obama. 
uh, which is, you know, is getting on the pit. I'm not saying yeah. it's past it. No, but, but for I, a striker who relies on speed, that's, that's a huge concern, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it, is con- it is, yeah, it is concerning. And you would have thought, well, if they had decided, I mean, it's because, again, they have very badly played the, the transfer market, which is not the first time it's happened. They always left leave things far too late. Uh, you know, they, you never hear about crucial Arsenal players, perhaps from Bukayo Saka, who renew their contracts when they, before they're in the last 18 months of their, of it, which is crazy. Um, and there always seems to be a problem around that. And the only way they could keep him was by offering him what was a very, very expensive contract. Very, so, very expensive. Yeah. Which means, you know, and I know, okay, goal scorers are thin on the ground, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but again, I, I, I think we had within the club, we had one of those, which was Gabi, Gabi Martinelli. And we had Lacazette, who is a very decent goal scorer. He's not the greatest number nine in, on the planet, but he's certainly far from the worst. And they had a chance, but they made that choice to stick with, with Aubameyang. And for many reasons, uh, I suppose not losing face perhaps was another one of them, not to be once again be seen as the club who lets these greatest talents, most valuable talents go away which has happened so many times. And then they decided on William, which was a very strange choice. And again, that was not a cheap deal. And, um, and, and, the, and then you hear that the coffers are empty. And you think, oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. You, know, so, you don't uh, have to pay for Ozil anymore, so that, that's yeah. a bit of money. Yeah, can I be slightly mischievous and suggest with Aubameyang, here you have a player who undeniably has quality but can be slightly mercurial, can mm-hmm. seem detached at times. Who they were, they ended up being backed into a dilemma, as you say, where they were faced with the choice between letting this very expensive player go for free, which seemed yeah. like a very bad idea, and on the other hand, handing him a contract that's probably bigger and longer than they were comfortable with. Those were the two. That that reminds me of a situation in the past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <We're>, we're <laughs> that, uh, we've been here before with Arsenal, haven't we? Is yes, it we too have. mischievous of me to suggest that Obama no, 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 I think could, that's, that's a could be the fair, new Ozil? Yeah, that, that, it's a perfectly fair point to uh, to make, and I think there were other uh, cases of that happening in the past, and and it's 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 been very badly played uh, again. So, for example. Uh, in some cases, they've decided, oh, well, fine, we'll let the player run his contract down, which is Aaron Ramsey. Mm. And in other cases, we absolutely want to keep that player and we are not even, we sort of, a, what we do, we sort of, we are at the edge of the cliff. We know there's about 50 meters. It's got to hurt when you're going to hit the water. But you put the goggles on, you pinch your nose with your fingers, uh, you pray, and then you jump. And not surprisingly, it does hurt. Uh, and that's, I mean, I, I find it very strange. I mean, what, what, I mean, what, what is happening at the club in terms of recruitment and, and contractual situations is very odd. And there, there are so many examples um, of that happening. But not all the decisions, you know, are bad. I mean, some of the recruitment has been, has been okay. I mean, I think that uh, getting uh, an, um, your compatriot or, uh, uh, to Arsenal on, on the loan was one of the deals of the season. It was an absolute... I mean, the only problem with it is that 
uh, we, i.e. Arsenal, might not be able to keep him. He's playing too well, isn't he? I mean, yeah. uh, this weekend aside, he had one of those games that he does occasionally where he's not very effective. Uh, no, and, but and nobody around any- him was, was either, and nobody was making the runs, and nobody was, you know, he, he was still able, I was looking at him quite closely, he was still able to do those little um, nifty turns and drop of the shoulder and, you know, small movements towards the left or with the left, obviously, uh, and and creating space and looking for somebody to pass the ball to, but nobody was there offering, you know, a run or offering a a proper, uh, uh, you know, aim objective. So he suffered because of that. But yeah, he had one of his not-so-good games, but... He's had one but of those. That's kind of besides the point. I guess the point I was making is that he has almost been too good because he's performing at a level where it's very hard to imagine that Real Madrid will be happy to let him go. But I suppose that comes back to his Real Madrid situation wherein Zidane doesn't seem to like him very much. Yeah. But the club know that they have an aging squad that they will have to refresh and they have a young playmaker there who looks like he can be a sort of top-class European attacking midfielder why would we let him go now? It doesn't make any sense for them to let him go, except yeah. for the fact that the coach doesn't like him. So, uh, what, so what happens at Real Madrid is really hard to predict. Uh, but last, by the way, uh, how long has he got left on his contract with Real Madrid? Well, according to the the mighty transfermarkt.net or whatever it is, they're very good with this. It's until 2023. Now, there could mm. be some sort of uh, sometimes there's an optional extra year that that website doesn't yeah. catch on. Uh, I speak as someone who who may or may not have written articles in the past going, here are five Bosman players who you should really look at. And then it turns out some of them has contract extension clauses that undermine my my, my good work. Anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, just two more years. So that, that does also... He certainly has given himself more leverage i think uh, the goal by by showing that he can uh, perform at this high this higher level for for a strong team in the premier league i i mean i'm not discounting his efforts from real sociedad at all he was magnificent in the autumn last season but i think also doing it in england shows that he has a bit of range and a bit of toughness to him and i think it makes him more attractive to other top teams yep. and he certainly will have the clout when he goes back to his Madrid in the summer to say, listen, you're going to have to play me next season or I want to leave. Yeah, and, uh, and rightly so. And uh, if he wants to stay at, uh, at Arsenal, he'd be very welcome. I can tell you that. I don't know how much he would go for. I can imagine he's going to be a pretty expensive player. But the fact is that since he arrived uh, on, on loan, um, I mean, past you know, the couple of games where he was basically feeling his way in or perhaps was not entirely fit, um, he's been, uh, yeah, he's, he's started every single game uh, since February, since mid-February. I know we're only early April, but there's been quite a few of those games. And he's been, you know, he started absolutely everything, both in the Europa League, which is number one competition for Arsenal. No, he was, uh, sorry, he was a sub against Olympiacos in the game that didn't mean much, where Arsenal had already uh, a two-goal advantage after the away leg. Um, but otherwise, he probably is... Uh, as they say, the first name on the team sheet. Mm. And I'm not joking, when, mm. when, when fit, and he's fit. And that's another thing which surprises me, by the way, um, Lars, is that arriving, you know, he had some injury problems uh, before he arrived at Arsenal this season when he was still in Spain. Uh, and having very little game time, his fitness is absolutely fantastic. Mm. And everybody, 
at the club has been uh, actually, you know, flub, not flummox, but absolutely uh, more than surprised. So going forward into the summer, like with your uh, knowledge of the club and uh, following it very closely and all of that, uh, do you believe that Arsenal will make a serious uh, attempt at keeping Martin Odegaard and do you think it'll be possible for them to, to do it? Um, possible, I think if the if the will is there, there will be a way. Yes, definitely. Um, and um, uh, I, I think there's it's quite clear that Arteta loves him. Um, he's obviously very well appreciated by his teammates. Uh, he's very mature, and he's a very good influence in the dressing room by all I hear. So yes, I would say that they're going to try and make an effort, and he's probably become. At the beginning, you arrived. <laughs> uh, a bit as a, I wouldn't say as an afterthought, but uh, you know, when you arrive on loan in the winter transfer window, it's generally because it's not necessarily an idea that you had you've had for months and years. Mm. Mm. It's a bit of an emergency, uh, opportunistic. Yeah, it's opportunistic. And it was really clever. Mm. Now I think he he has now become the number one target for Arsenal, and I, I he is the boss. He's the playmaker. And uh, I cannot see... I mean, this is so... I mean, that's the problem, is that these type of players are so thin on the ground that you know, there's going to be an almighty fight. I mean, this performance is everybody in Europe and in the world is, is aware of them. I mean, they were anyway, everybody was aware of... has been aware of him for, what, seven, eight years now. And, and now we can see it doing it in, in the Premier League. And... You know, his game against Tottenham, you will remember that. And uh, Yes, it is a poor Tottenham team. It was a very poor Tottenham team on that day. But my goodness, that was some performance. And, and there have been quite a few of those. It's the regularity, the consistency. I mean, we, we knew about the... Um, and, within, and within a team which perhaps is not the best uh, f- f- equipped for, to make him shine... Because again, his distribution is so. I mean, you know, the way we talk about Odegaard um, at the moment amongst Arsenal fans stars, is that we say it's Özil without the baggage. Yeah, and I, I know I it's an expression you've used yourself, but you're absolutely right. It's what everybody's saying, you know, in the WhatsApp groups and uh, <laughs> forums. It's Özil without the baggage and the problems. There That's are similarities there. Yeah, and there's similarities there in terms of the appreciation of space and the way to pass and the first touch. And, you know, there, yeah, there are a lot of, compa- a lot of, uh, comparisons there. And, 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 and certainly you'd want him, you'd want him to stay. Now, lastly, before I let you go, this is already, as always with this pod, this has developed into a pod that is never 15 minutes. It's always <laughs> a lot more than that. I've become terrible at time management, but I want to, I guess what is the sort of million, a Euro question for, for, yeah. for Arsenal fans at the moment is, do you still believe in, in Arteta? Because we can go round and round about, you know, certain things have been bad in terms of recruitment, but there are young players who are exciting and you have maybe Odegaard stays and he's very good. And there are reasons to be cheerful, but all of it kind of hinges on this question of whether we still believe in the coach. And I find it harder and harder to judge, really, because he comes across very well. You read all these articles from behind the scenes about how clever he is, though those articles tend to be complimentary. And, uh, mm. But on the field, it's still very inconsistent and it's still a little bit hard to see what the grand plan is. So I'm, you being a wiser footballing head than myself, do you still believe in Arteta? And and if if so, why? And if not, why not? Uh, I, I'm, an, I'm an optimistic agnostic. 
As in, I don't think that he is necessarily the manager who is going to transform us or bring us back to where we were not that long ago at all. But I also think that, and you know, we've got to remember that he he gave Arsenal a trophy. You know, we, we've got very short memories because the way they got the, the FA Cup with, with Arteta, uh, they got it on merit. And my mm. goodness, having played some terrific games to get there, and okay, it's only the FA Cup, but it is the only, it is the FA Cup. Um, and there are enough elements of, uh, of hope, I mean, performances to persevere. I mean, we're all crossing our fingers thinking, well, could we be spared by injuries, please, just the once? for a few months, just we can see what this team can do. And I don't think that Arteta, for example, was responsible for the recruitment of William, but he's responsible for playing William. And this yeah. is where I, you know, some of his choices have been strange. And the way he's chopped and changed, and, uh, and there's still, I mean, you think players like Pepe, I there is a player in Pepe somewhere, but he hasn't found found him yet. He's unpredictable, uh, and um, and which is a great asset. But you've got to create an environment in which this unpredictability becomes an an asset and not a, not a drawback. And I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, it, it seems very much that we're going from match to match, changing it, chopping and changing. A little bit too willingly. I don't necessarily understand why it's happening. Happening. I find some of the uh, on what we call le coaching in French that on field or in game mm. choices bizarre, quite conservative, far too conservative. Um, I mean, there, there there are loads of areas where I think could do better. But on the other hand. He has some credit with the fans. To be honest, he's only just arrived. He's only just arrived. I, I, I hope he's not responsible for the recruitment, because if he were, I would have some serious doubts. But I think the recruitment policy at Arsenal is a whole different kettle of fish. And if I can say that, that fish wasn't brought ashore yesterday, but probably a few weeks ago, and it smells a bit. It's like the ones they had to put the googly eyes on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that story. Uh, anyway. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that was in Dubai or something. Someone had oh, put dear. the googly eyes on uh, the fish to make them look fresher. Um, oh, God. But, but, yeah. but okay. I think I have another, another thing, is that because we've been living this season for so long now, we forget that this season is not normal. Uh, with all with the yes, extra games and the less time on the training ground and all the COVID protocols they have to follow, I, I, maybe this is me not being as punchy and tabloid that we're meant to be in this business and say, oh, either you're great or you must go. It's usually one of the. I tend to think if you go into this season of all seasons with a young coach who you like, who you think is smart, and who you believe in. Almost nothing that can happen during this weird pandemic season should change your mind on that too much because no. there's just so much weird stuff to deal with Correct. that I think it would be deeply unfair to, to, to get rid of someone based on anything that happens. Oh, I don't think getting rid of him is, is at all um, you know, something. I mean, some people, some excitable types might, might write about it on, you know, on Twitter, but nobody's thinking seriously about it. He's got the confidence of the board and the confidence of most. 
I mean, people are a bit frustrated because I suppose we're used to a, a certain type of football at, uh, uh, at the Arsenal and we're not seeing it every game, to say the least. But I agree with you entirely. It is a very strange season, one which in some ways should be, uh, you know, set aside. Um, I mean, it's fairly obvious, for example, to me, if I can have this little barb, if I can throw this little barb towards Old Trafford, I think that almost every single team that uh, Manchester United has met, uh, come across this year, has got a better manager than Manchester United. Um, I certainly think that Graham Potter is a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, I don't have any doubt about that. And I think it's so blindingly obvious. On the other hand, Manchester United, I've got the second best squad in the country. Yeah. And, and in a season like this one, the, the, the depth of your squad is going to be absolutely crucial. Because remember, we were at one point hovering uh, an average of 80 to 100 muscular injuries at one given time. And that's only within the squads, uh, the Premier League squads, registered squads, so 25 players per club. We had between 80 and 100 players injured, mus- muscular injuries at one, at one given time. It's insane. It absolutely yeah. makes no sense. Absolutely. The, 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 there is hardly any time on the training pitch. It's all about recuperation, but perhaps preparing um, set pieces, uh, doing some toros, and Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt, a couple of video sessions, off you go. Yeah. So it's, as you say, it's, a completely, it's completely wrong uh, to, to judge anybody. And, and the depth of squad, look at the teams which are top of the league at the moment, you will see one thing which they have in common, and I include Leicester in that, who've got a wonderful squad, is that they're very deep. Is that you yeah. have two, three injuries, Leicester can have Madison and Harvey bounce off, out for a while. It will affect them, but not to the extent of, like Arsenal having Smith-Rowe and Saka out, it's a disaster. So you're seeing it's, it's, it's a strange season. I think we'll go, if and when we go back to normal, we'll look at it very, very differently. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Manchester United, you've got Bruno Fernandes, uh, who miraculously is never injured. And then you've got about seven or eight, nine players who are pretty much interchangeable. And if one of them become, gets injured, well, that's not such a huge problem. We'll just bring Martial in. We'll just bring Rashford in. We'll, you know, I could carry on like that. It's, it's just not the same thing. And at Manchester City, it's even more ridiculous. So that's not the case of Arsenal. That's the case of Tottenham, and I, if I dare to say that. But it's a different problem. It's a different matter. And I think Arteta, yeah. I think this weekend, found a very fine line in the, his interviews after the game between showing that he was disgusted with the performance, but <laughs> also taking responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. A- and I think that's a big difference between what's happening, because we can say, okay, no one should be judged by what's happening this season, but a manager can make it impossible for himself by just setting everything on fire Correct, because he's unhappy which may or may not be happening somewhere else in London uh, at the moment. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of listeners who are Liverpool fans, by the way. I'm not sure I can let you say that United have the second best squad in the league. Well, they have. Yeah, really? It's, it's, honestly? Yeah, honestly, they have the second best squad in the, in the league uh, in, terms, in terms of depth. Uh, I'm not just saying yeah, that, that, that's yeah, I'm, yeah, okay, depth, fair enough. Depth, yeah. depth is the all important thing. Um, and, and because depth is not just when you have. Uh, problems with injuries, which was certainly true of Liverpool, my goodness, didn't they suffer more than anybody else? Um, but it's also depth in terms of uh, alternatives. And when, for example, as will happen in every single season, 
a player suddenly is a little bit off color, you know, off form. You need to freshen up the squad. If you're at Manchester United, absolutely zero problem. Zero problem. Uh, you would, you know, some players, I mean, one player is irreplaceable in that team is Bruno Fernandes. We all know that. But he's only the best playmaker in England at the moment, has been throughout the season. And you might argue he's the best playmaker in Europe. I would probably be able to make a convincing case for that. But at, in almost every other position, they're cool. They're fine. They're cool. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's almost actually ridiculous how cool they are. Well, you think how much money they played for Alex Tejas, for example. Yes. I mean, Tejas would actually fit in most Premier League you know, as squads as a, as, a, as a starter. He's barely had a game. Yeah, because Shaw is suddenly good sure, again. Sure, no, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah you have. Um, I, I wouldn't say the same options, thing for, for sure. if Liverpool. You know, if Andy Robertson is injured, big problem. Yeah, they got the. If Greek TAA is injured, yeah, big problem. Yeah, and you can carry on. There's quite a few positions in which is big problem. If if their keeper gets injured, big problem. Yeah. Or, or as it turns United. out, if all of their defenders get injured, there is certainly a well, big problem. Well, everybody would have a problem with that. That's very true. Uh, but but listen, yeah. Again, we've run over by so much. I, I, I'm okay. going to have to. I'm going to have to let you go. No, absolutely not. But just lastly, as an Arsenal uh, follower, are you are you very briefly positive or, or negative about the future? Are you are you, st- are you, you going to fall back to okay, the I was, agnosticism? Uh, uh, I, I was a positive agnostic with the current team. I will be a, uh, a negative agnostic in this. I think our problems go far beyond the squad uh, who is in the dugout and technical zone. I think our problem lie with the direction the club is taking uh, under the current uh, ownership, and which I think is the biggest problem. I don't get the feeling that there is a plan which is uh, a long-term plan which is in place, contrary to some of our rivals or people who used to be our rivals, where there is a plan in place. Um, I have my doubts as to the financial repercussions of what is happening on the field. Arsenal used to be a regular in the top six of the Deloitte wish list, has now left the top 10. I don't think they're going to go back anytime soon. That's a huge problem because in 21st century football, at the moment, money means success. And um, I can't see either a leadership that would compensate the lack of financial muscle by its imagination and vision, which happens in some other clubs like Leicester, certainly is the case. Uh, I wouldn't see that. I don't, I don't see that happening at, at Chelsea, at Arsenal. Uh, Chelsea is a different. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about I'm talking Chelsea because I'm preparing a, a big piece about Marina Grandovskaya, yeah, so it's ah. at the back of my mind. Yeah, speaking and, of having plans and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Um, the recruit- I think the recruitment policy has got to be rethought. I think the recruitment strategy and structure, I want key adjuration out of the club as soon as possible. And that's not defamatory to say that. I just want him out as quickly as possible. And, um, and I don't know if it's going to happen. And that's my problem. My problem, so- is, my problem is Krunker. My problem is Jurapshian. And my problem is the people who are enabling them to do what the hell they want in that club. That is where my problem lies. My problem is not with Aubameyang or Arteta or even Granny Jacka, whom I love to hate and hate to love and in equal measures. <laughs> the problem is with the whole club. 
uh, and that that is when you lose the will to live a little bit because you know there are other clubs which also everybody goes through ups and downs and i was i was taking the example of leicester regardless of by the way um the ethical nature of you know, the uh, the ownership let's put that aside because if we start doing that we will never end this podcast mm-hmm. uh, but if i'm a leicester fan i'm confident i'm completely confident in everything because i've got owners or an owner who obviously has got a grand plan let's put the right peoples in, in in place and they're reaping the dividends of that and there are other clubs on which i would say that you know if i'm a brighton fan even though they're i don't think i'm I think I'm pretty optimistic. I'm thinking, eh, we need a bit of you know a break, but we'll be fine, and we can build on that. I'm not, I'm an Arsenal fan, and I'm, I'm thinking, good grief. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems as good as seems before. as good a place as any to yeah. end it. Okay. Uh, we'll, All right, we'll speak, we'll speak again in happier times. Thank you so much for your time. All right, Lance, my pleasure. Take care. <laughs>